Welcome to another edition of Michael L. Craver Presents. It is June 16th, 4.16 p.m. I was born 4.17, right? Uh, 25th anniversary is today, right? So this is my, what do I have here? I have, well, the same thing. Same thing I've been drinking on all the podcasts. Just a little swig of expertly crafted 1783 small patch. Just a little swig straight from the bottle. You get the big bottles, you have to take those plastic inserts out that are made to um, help give and take when you when you pour so the air goes in and out of the bottle and you get a smooth pour. But uh, it is Father's Day this weekend, and as promised, I have... I think I've talked about doing this podcast for like two years, doing a little bit of backstory or memories of my father, things of that nature. Um, I had a couple of other things that I left out of the last podcast, so I thought I'd start out those and share a little stuff, and and then you know, I'll move on to some some fun memories and things. I had just the best time this week. Um, just ironically, it's just stuff that relates to me and my dad. But anyway. Um, On my other screen, I got to, what I do is I make notes, and um, I'll cover, you know, it's, it's just a phrase, and then I talk. So I don't have articulate, like, formats for my podcast or anything of na- that nature. You can, you can forget the um, I do have um, a few things that people said to me uh, through conversation about dating and otherwise, and... Uh, the first one is I have written down the miles to personality ratio. And what I had said was that there are certain people who matched up from, you know, a long distance. You know, if you have a dating profile or otherwise, you can set it for 10 miles, 20 miles, 100 miles, whatever. No limits. Um, but... I sent someone and said, you know, the amount of miles is relative to their personality. It's the miles to personality ratio. It's how well does this person present themselves? How much fun would they be to, you know, to be around? What kind of atmosphere would it be? to be around their energy. Because to me, that's one of the more important things. And it negotiates a couple of other things that I am very, very strenuous about. To be proud of your children. Let's say they have a great personality, but they're going broke. And they're making awful decisions that are just going to wreck their life. Well, personality is not going to be that that rescue um, device that's going to keep you floating. Unless there's some way to make money with it. And so it's one of those things where, yeah, personality is great. But you can't um, live and die by that alone. I think that you have to have certain things that you bring to the table. And I've said, you know, in many conversations, people have said flattering things to me. Like, hey, you really look like you got your life together. Well, I mean, I breathe. And I do all the bodily functions that you're supposed to do to take care of my body. Like, however I drink 
an intensely um, unhealthy diet of soda. And I think for every two liter that I drink, if I looked at the nutritional facts um, and I'm remembering them correctly, um, every Dr. Pepper, every two liter that I drink is like 400% of a 2,000 calorie a day diet. That's got nothing to do with solid food or anything that I, right. So there's some, I, I shop a food line, I shop local to North Carolina when I can. Um, and so these food line donuts that we're buying, we get one for a year. There's a dozen of those sitting there. They're covered in whatever glaze because they're frozen and then set out. Well, I don't know how much, here, let's look at the facts. If they're on here, it says, I'm going to have to get my, being 41, and get my glasses to read these things. They're actually very small. Maybe they don't want you to know. Um, serving size, 12 serves. So one donut is 9% of sodium. One donut is 20% of saturated fat. 10% of... I'm sorry, 15% of total fat is at 10 grams. Um, yeah. Yeah. If I'm already at 400%, just off the one two liter, I'd usually have more than that of Dr. Pepper, then whatever I'm getting out of these other snacks like donuts, or I love my, my big tub of cookies and cream, ice cream, stuff like that. Uh, I'm sure it's just rough on me. I, and, and you maybe there's somebody out there who's going to say, yeah, but there's this other theory that if you eat that much sugar and your body is some kind of way, it turns it into, you know, a resource. Maybe. I would think it would throw your glucose levels and everything else out the fucking car and you're going off-road and it's going to be a bumpy ride, you know, to the you know destination of diabetes or an early grave or whatever that is. So, you know, I'm, I'm fully aware of that, but... Um, I've cut back at different points in my life. I mean, I, I certainly try to moderate how much uh, to an extent, but otherwise, I just, I mean, I, these are the things that I enjoy. And Quite frankly, I, I probably don't have a 2,000-calorie diet, which would just mean that um, that is the portion of sugar out of a larger calorie diet, but it, we could, you know, the percentage would go down. Obviously, the percentage would have to match up. So, 2,000 calorie diet and 400%. Well, let's see. To get it down to 100%, you'd have to eat 8,000 calories. I don't think that's what's going on. I don't remember that, but I've never done a calorie count. And, and I, just, I just don't mathematically think that's true because I work for 10 or 12 hours a day, mildly eat in the evenings, start off the next morning with... Um, two portions of uh, instant oatmeal. Uh, so I, I just, I'm not thinking that that number is <clears throat> anywhere near uh, f realistic. I'm not doing 8,000 calories. And so it's probably pretty rough. And if, you, if you're out there and you just, you know, I eat what makes me happy. Well, if you do rough work like I do, it's a good little... It's a nice little nugget to throw on the other side of the scale to balance, like, whether you're happy. And it's like a vacation in my mouth. <laughs>
That's my, be my new pickup line. I'm like a vacation in your mouth. But no, it, it's one of those things that you you know it's it makes your day a little bit different, right? You, you we used to have a great day uh, at school, daycare, whatever. And I'll start the dad stories early, uh, and he would take us by the gas station, and we would get a Sunbeam honey bun. Is that that doesn't seem right? I think that's right, but um, we only did that, you know, and I don't know if it was a, do- a dollar thing or whatever. We didn't do it every day, and there were days that he would drive a different way home, and he would say, we're going home this way, and I would say, that way's longer, and he's like, shut up, because my younger brother would be in the front seat or the back seat. We switched, and uh, I don't know if he just didn't want to stop and get us a, a honey bun that day, or, you know, maybe it was harder on his wallet or whatever. It could have been. You know, a lot of people have told me how fortunate I am for how I grew up. And I said, my dad worked building houses. But he didn't make no crazy amount of money. We were rich in laughter and experience. And we, there was a few things in terms of land or something that, you know, were part of our family history. But there was none of this, like, you know, white collar, whatever. I mean, it was never like that. They were smart with what they had to work with. And, and never overindulged. It's probably something that helps drive the conversations that I have on this podcast about consumption. Because if you do fewer things, but you do them with great joy, if the things in your life are more pure, and you have that like intense pleasure, you're laughing right from the bottom of your lungs at whatever it is, you're going to be so much more of a blissful, joyous kind of person then the person who's laughing at all the oh look it's a TikTok <laughs> and then you got to move on to the next thing. You feel almost obligated like you're going to miss something so you got to you know spread your attention across this and that and the other. <laughs> I never I don't ever did that. I'll put on Lewis Black or Doug Stanhope, George Carlin. I love guys like Norm Macdonald and I've, I've ventured across other comedians. Um, and I can't think, I've never watched much of like these older guys, Mitch Hedberg, and I've seen a Richard Pryor, but not many. Uh, you know, and is modern comedy? Mm. Seems like there's a guy named Hofstetter or something that does these heckler, you know, where he does, that's his YouTube clips, is when somebody will heckle him and he'll roast him back. Obviously, I've and I've talked about it a great number of times on this podcast. I love, uh, Tom Segura does great work. Um, so does Bill Burr. I like the things that, uh, come from, I've, I've never watched much of the comedy. It's the stand-up of Joey Diaz, but I, I intensely enjoy the stories that he shares on like Joe Rogan. I like the, the pranks and the silly stuff that happens on the Howard Stern show. It reminds me of the Jerky Boys and, Super Troopers and Beavis and Butthead and all that kind of, you know, Looney Tunes, Wile E. Coyote, Roadrunner kind of stuff. Jackass and Johnny Knoxville and all those things, right? But the thing that I've, I, I can turn him on any day and, and he'll never stop being like a personal fucking hero of mine. Um, Dave Chappelle's work is, is immaculate. It's a, it, gets, it crosses cultures and time and what he's done with his with the opportunities with his resources is phenomenal and um he's created a lot of jobs and and made put a lot of smiling faces out there and he's 
done some revolutionary things from a perspective of power. He took... That was my favorite thing that I... I remember that he signed the deal with Netflix. And then he... He put out this special called Unforgiven. You can watch it on... It's not like an official special thing. I think it's on his IMDb page and stuff. But he put out an 18-minute clip on Instagram. And it's on YouTube at this point uh, as well. But it's called Unforgiven. And I don't think they released it on like Netflix or anything. You know, there's a Not that I know of. But he told this story of how Comedy Central, when he signed the contract years ago... They owned Chappelle's show forever. He could never do another show, use his name, whatever. And so, modern time, he just looked at everybody and he said, They've, they're putting Chappelle's show on Netflix. They're putting it on HBO Max. I'm going to tell you, don't watch it. Don't watch the show. Take the value away from it. I want my show back. It's the only thing he knows to do. And then he... I just love the story. I mean, you'll, you you see me get emotional about certain things that happened in the world or family around me or otherwise. He told the story of how the president, uh, you know, the top guy at HBO called him up and said, we're going to take it off our service. The, the president of Netflix called him up and said, we're going to take it off our service out of respect for Dave Chappelle. They had invested all this money with Comedy Central. They're going to take it off their service. And then Comedy Central, I don't know that it was ever publicly, I didn't go looking into it that much. I don't stalk the man or anything. But Comedy Central either quietly settled with him to give him the show back or forfeited the show. I heavily doubt they forfeited the show to him. But Chappelle has his name, likes, uh, uh, likeness, rights, everything now. So then his character started appearing on Saturday Night Live and he's done his skits. So there are there are extensions to the Chappelle show out there, real ones, right? That are on Saturday Night Live. I don't know that he's ever like sat down and said, I'm gonna like dedicate this. I think that you may see a Netflix event or something come out where he'll put together things that they will just release. Could happen. Very well could happen. I I don't doubt that at all, but the man has done all these other things where he's spoken um at his old, his old um, acting school, he accepted the Kennedy Center um, honors. I mean, he's somebody that's been very important to our culture. He's changed um, a lot of things, and he's <laughs> you know he walked away and then told everybody how crazy Hollywood was. That, to me, was an extremely important kind of piece of, of being a role model. And that kind of thing has only made me feel very much closer to his decision-making and, and what he means like to the idea of freedom and America and business. I mean, literally what he's doing is changing the, the landscape of business. This is the kind of thing that I've wanted to do. There, well, if it needs to be done, I don't just want to change it for the sake of it, 
is the kind of thing that I would love to be a pioneer in the aspect of being able to build better teams, make people happier. One of my guys told me, and I don't share many real time work stories of you know, my current career. I just don't do that. It's I don't consider it a conflict of interest or anything. I just it's one of my little taboos or superstitions, whatever you might say. But somebody came to me and said, "Hey, I I just love being here. I love hanging out. This we he, he said we work harder. He's got two jobs. He said I work harder here than I do at my other job." But it don't feel like work. And just I get to I get to be with the guys. It's it's good to be here. You feel welcome. You know, it's it's just a good atmosphere. And it was the greatest compliment. It was I, when I was at the dentist a long time ago, I, I fall asleep when I'm at the dentist. No matter what they're all that stuff, I'm sleeping. Just happens. I don't take special medication or anything. I just I'm calm. I don't fear it, whatever. And they told me that was the greatest um, compliment that you can give is to fall asleep in the. <laughs> I already say in the operating chair. I guess they are operating chairs if there's an oral surgeon. Um... <laughs> oh, oh, the irony of these terms. I've known a few oral. <laughs> Have you? I've known a few of them oral surgeons in my day. <laughs> um, these were amateur people. They were not, as far as I know, they weren't board certified. And they didn't have a diploma hanging on the wall, but they were, they were fucking oral surgeons, buddy. Um, but the the compliment that they that they <laughs> that they said that falling asleep in the chair was the greatest thing, and I just think to myself, you know, that I guess that is the kind of mark of comfort. That you know someone could fall asleep during uh, maybe a massage or or whatever kind of service you might be providing for them. Obviously, if I'm lecturing you or you know I'm some sort of um, financial advisor, falling asleep there while I'm trying to uh, give you a, a few pointers about your portfolio would uh, not be the greatest compliment. That would lead me to believe you're probably going to go through some some tough times, but uh, yeah, I just it's one of those things in my life where you know I've tried to build this wonderful culture out of <clears throat> any resources that I have, and like this week, you know, I, I started out earlier in the week and I knew which day I had off. I decided to go volunteer that day. Got a text from my grandmother. Hey, uh, we usually have this this other guy. He comes and he pressure washes the house. Every spring or you know beginning of summer, whatever, and uh, she said, "I th- I cannot remember." If she said he wasn't available, but she mentioned his name, um, and I do not remember if it was one of these two things that he was not available, or they were going to ask me before they ask him, because they already have a fresh washer. I said, "I'll be there. I got you taken care of," and then I messaged my father and said, hey, you know, because dad has all these, you talk about life hacks and all this crap that's on YouTube. He's full of that stuff. So I said, what do you recommend to to, to kind of cheat and make the, the process of pressure washing easier? He said, you use food line bleach and, uh, you know, generic bleach and uh, basically hit the vinyl siding with it 
um, let it kind of soak in the, in the in the sun, the hot areas, that kind of thing, for a little bit. And you, you can hit it with a little bit of water to activate the bleach. Uh, so water first, hit with some bleach, and then come back and just pressure wash and rinse right off kind of thing. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> it went fast. I did a bunch of different areas. I thought I was done. And, that, and that's when my 95-year-old grandfather came out there to watch me walking with his cane and started pointing out some other places that might need attention and said, hey, there's a ladder over there, over there if you want to climb up on the ladder. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're not used to using a pressure washer, it's loud, it's, it's whatever, and that's fine, but you got to kind of want to be messy. I'm sure there's plenty of, of, of things, you know, Nickelodeon used to have when we were little, the slime people on Nickelodeon, and uh, the Duncan booth that's at the fair, or the <clears throat> small events, excuse me, that you go to, uh, where, you know, you put somebody that, who's hated, or somebody who acts like a fool, and in the Duncan booth, people want to pay to, you know, for a good cause to throw some balls and, and soak them in water. I guess because people don't like water. That's why the you had that ice bucket challenge and all that crap. People don't want water poured all over them. The coach runs, even though it's the victorious Gatorade bucket that they pour over his head, and you know they'll try to get out of the way of the water. I don't know why. People do it at the amusement park. You know, the big log ride comes down the big hill and splashes all the water and throws it all over the people who are on the the bridge. You know, they tell you, you know, get out of the way, Gallagher. Used to have people pull the plastic up because he would smash the watermelons. People don't want stuff on them. That's why food fights are not necessarily something that's very pleasant. You know, maybe you've maybe you've been with a special somebody and you just don't want to get splattered with all these. Okay, so I'm up on the ladder, and you pressure wash something at close range with all those. Water particles going everywhere. Bleach is going everywhere. Yeah. It's it's hard to... It, it's kind of like close range. Mayhem. I mean, I got up there and I was just... You know, and the, and the pressure wash is going and it's, it's just going every which way. And no matter how you try to angle it so that the water kind of ricochets away from you... You're going to wear a lot of it. But it was so warm, it was hot with the direct sun over my head, that, that was, it was very good balance between the two. It felt like hard work. It felt refreshing. It was a nice little mix of nature with sunshine from here, water from there, and it smelled clean. And I just thought to myself, I bet he's happy down there watching his house go from something that had this mold and mildew and it has those resin, those stains that come from having trees in the field behind the house and the wind blows that stuff and it just sticks to the house. Now it's not there anymore. Now it's clean. And so not only am I happy and I'm feeling quite refreshed, but he is happy to have seen that. And he's his grandson up there working hard. And, uh, and I've always been like that, I guess. So um, those are the kind of things that really... They mean the most to my time. And um, 
bless their heart, but you know, they've done okay in life and, and my grandparents are very like, they ain't gonna let you do nothing for free. So they're always trying to give me, you know, here, here's some dollars. And I, all right, well you can pay me for, I did a service. I guess you would pay somebody else however much. Right. But then I said, you know what? I know where that money's going. And I didn't know where that money's going. I wrote father's day letters to all the guys that worked for me. And that side work that my grandmother paid me to do for her, I took that and turned it around. And I gave each of my guys something of, of monetary value um, as part of their Father's Day. That's where it comes from. I think those are the things that make the world go around. I made, you know, now I've made my grandparents' uh, house look fresh. Wrote some letters, gave some recognition to my guys. They're feeling great, and I feel like some kind of... I would never use the word Robin Hood here. I just feel like I'm, you know, someone who's a, a good Samaritan um, messenger or something of that nature, right? Because I'm over here, and I'm, I'm doing a good thing, and then they're going to give me the good message, the, the dollars, and I'm going to go give them to somebody else and, and show them how the world goes around you work hard, and you, you redistribute that joy. And I love that. I get to carry, you know, that good vibe that I got from taking water and just beating the ugliness off of that house and take that. And I came home, got a shower, and, and you know, had a good afternoon. And then later in the week, I took and, and not pressure washing with water and bleach and fighting crud on vinyl siding but I took and I made sure everybody didn't have an empty or or didn't feel unappreciated or otherwise I jump started Father's Day right now today June the 16th I went over there and full page letter here's something for you and I think that's a great precedent to set for me it's, it's something I do on a very regular basis I write my guys something on Thanksgiving Christmas they have a birthday an anniversary at work whatever it might be uh, I like recognizing folks. It means a lot to me, and they, you know, we're guys, and I and I mean that in the most typical kind of way. That oh well, thank you. I don't know what to say. Don't gotta say anything. You didn't ask. I don't need to hear nothing. I just want you to know it means something to me, and it comes out of my pocket, et cetera, and that's fine. I don't ask any more of you because I gave you something. That's to recognize that you're, I value you more than, you know, not acknowledging you for one. But second, uh, it's important to me to kind of um, put a little skin in the game, so to speak, where maybe it will start that like starting the wave, and when they feel like they, they should appreciate somebody, they'll write them a thank you, they'll say thank you, they'll come up with their own way of recognizing or whatever somebody else. I hope that that's, that's some kind of a side effect of it. I hope to institute change like that. That's important to me. That's got a lot to do with that miles to personality ratio kind of stuff. I mean, it's just, I think some of the things that I, I do, you just... There's no other way for you to uh, 
put that side by side with, uh, I don't know, maybe somebody else that you may be thinking about in your life or dating or you know, who's your candidate to hire for a promotion or whatever else. You go, well, Michael's, you never know what he's going to do. You know, he's going to do something. You know, he's going to surprise you. He's going to be very, he's a guy we should ask for ideas. Yeah, I get that a lot. I get that a lot. It's, you know, Michael, what should we do here? What do you think about this? You know, can, Michael, can you lend a hand? Um, sometimes can you lend expertise? All that kind of stuff. I, I love it. And the smaller things are, or have that, they still have that innocence. I talked about that on the last podcast, that sort of innocence to them. Because somebody asked me, they said, uh, what's, you know, you've, you've traveled a little bit. And I said, I have. They said, what's your favorite place that you've, that you've, you know. And I said, well, I tell you what, I think my favorite place at least in my mind, is somewhere that I've only glanced at passing down the road. I think from driving, and I've, we flew to California and back. I flew to Colorado and moved a young lady back um, to North Carolina. And driven a lot when I was a professional wrestler. Um I rode a lot when I was a professional wrestler. The mother of my kids, who was a photographer at the time, developed websites, drove a race car. She's she's quite the um, multi-talented woman. I'm I'm very proud of my you know my kids have her as a mom. Um, she drove a lot, but I got to see a lot of stuff out of a car window there. I've driven to uh, Michigan. Uh, I enjoyed uh, the concert I went to with John uh, Noel Gallagher. Went and saw him at the Royal Oak uh, Amphitheater. Uh, and as a matter of fact, John flew to Greensboro and we drove down and stayed on, oh, is it called Phillips? It ain't, but the main road in Atlanta has the, like the Phillips Center, the Coca-Cola Museum, the Aquarium, uh, Centennial Park for the Olympics, it's got all that together. We stayed on that road in the, oh, is that the Ramada Inn? I'm not gonna think of it, Emma. But it's the it's the living hotel where you, you it has the kitchen, the dishes, the pots, the pans, and and you can stay there for you know an extended period of time. Um, but anyway, we we drove down there to see Noel Gallagher play at the ta- Tabernacle, which is a wonderful musical place. We sat on the second row. You know, I spent some decent dollars to to do that, and I thought that was just a, a really great thing. Matter of fact, Noel Gallagher is playing in eight days on June the 24th, and they had front row seats available at the, I can't remember if it's called the Atlantis. It's a different amphitheater that's outdoors uh, where they're having that concert. And I've, I've not completely ruled out going, but I would have to rearrange some things. And I don't know, just, I haven't, I haven't seen, um, like the right opportunity with a travel partner or whatever to, to, to want to do that. But, um, that's, that's been, you know, the, most of the, the first end of my, my week and, and things that have gone on the last few weeks have led up to these kind of moments where it's like, Hey, you, you have an opportunity here. I do. I have the opportunity to, you know, that's one of my favorite guys, favorite musicians. And here is this great, you know, if you'll just, Act on it. You can have these seats, drive down there, and enjoy your night. It's expensive. It's a great memory. 
And it's one thing that you would do with a larger amount of money as opposed to doing a, a, a lot of things and breaking that money up. And that's what I talk about, purity and, and innocence and, and making memories. To me, some of that tough stuff is it's more competitive. It's go big or go home kind of moments. Talk a little bit more about that when we come back from the break. Coke with coffee. We blended Coke with rich coffee for one very good reason. Your afternoon pick-me-up routine needed it. Simple as that. Coke with coffee. You know, this the the idea behind the bucket list is the kind of not necessarily go big or go home. It's it's along those guidelines where people traditionally the bucket list items are the larger, more sacrifice-driven sort of goals, and. You know, people have asked me, and I, I alluded to this earlier in the podcast. I didn't think I finished the thought that of the places I've traveled and driven and so forth was my favorite place to travel. Uh, a good company and, and a good concert is, is its own reward. But uh, my personal experience um, of, you know, places that I've seen out the car window, I think that it would be interesting, are... Maybe some of my unseen, or I would consider those my somewhat favorite places, but it's somewhere I've never been. And people have asked me like five things that I would love to, you know, okay. Love to see a Rangers game in Madison Square Garden. Um, favorite place, and I said, you know, probably somewhere in the Midwest. Probably somewhere that... Um, Passenger has this song that is called Riding to New York. It's one of my favorite songs. And the lyric, um, and it just hits me every time, the goosebumps kind of thing. Um, they talk about, you know, and I drove through Ohio on the way to Michigan, you know, West Virginia, Ohio, up there. And uh, the lyric says, Through the fields of Ohio, as the sunshine paints them gold. I run just like a river runs, rapid, quick, and cold. I think about those, you know, just you know, fields and wheat, and just I don't know. I always love that stuff. They're my favorite place. I'll tell you what, my favorite place in the world is to go back down William Craver Lane. They named the gravel road alongside and down the back of my grandfather's home after him. And uh, his pond, uh, the pond that's on the, the family land is back there. And I, I wrote this piece. It's on my website. It's called Willie Ray. His name's William Raymond. And um, nobody ever called him Willie. Nobody called him Ray. It was just, you know, it was just a play on it. But I read through that. And if you've been there, especially we grew up there, you know, it was a family piece, more or less. I shared it with my father and so forth. But, you know... Um, yeah, something quite different, and um, I just, I feel quite sort of, um, I guess you would say sentimental, but it's this different mentality. Like, I was helping with my father's 
just he won't ask. You know, I made the joke, and I can't remember if I've told this on the podcast or not. But um, it's just one of those things that he won't ask for help. He told me he was cleaning up, he was doing leaves, whatever it was, you know. I don't know, his, go- his goal was to clear the yard, but he, s- he said it to me like, I'll be- I'm down by the road working. If he didn't give me details. And I jumped right in the car and ran over there. Um, because, why not? And we're doing leaves and we're doing what we're doing. And I just remember thinking, he, he won't ask for help. And he don't, he don't need help. But I help. And he was going to split all this wood several months ago. I, them pieces of that tree are four to five feet in diameter. I mean, you can't get your arms around some of them. And he was like, he was going to roll them up on the wood splitter and do that stuff himself. Because he don't care. He's like me. He doesn't care what his birth certificate says. He's still, you know, 30 years old. And I just, I can't let go of that kind of mentality either. I mean, I, you know, I still climb on stuff and jump off of stuff, and I'm foolish. I, I put some restrictions on it. But so Dad was, <laughs> he was doing some, moving some material where we we're going where they were going to put a new ceiling in the community center, which is the Lions Club and you know, nonprofit. And uh, I asked him if he wanted some help with it. He was like, no. And his brother was sitting shotgun, Brother Joe. And I said, Joe, I said, this man wouldn't ask for help if he was drowning. You know, that's <laughs> how it is. And I'm the same way. So... Somebody will say, hey, you want, you know, can I help you with this? Can I get this for you? Whatever, whatever. And I will listen to their offer. And sometimes I'll take them up on the offer, but I I won't be the one to speak first. You know what I'm saying? It's just a matter of, uh, I don't know, pride. You figure it out. So dad had, you know, he, he always loved the piece that I wrote. And we, you know, we grew up together and, you know, up and down that road. Um, is by the pond is just a lot of walks and a lot of memories are there but when I talk about bucket list items I mean in places my favorite places those are the places it's where we're splitting wood it's the it's the big big I mean that's a big big oak tree behind my father's house in the middle of his garden it's like something out of a it's it's real it's better than a Norman Rockwell painting or something you see on the Saturday Evening Post or, or something like on a poster. It's, all, it's amazing. There's pictures of it I have in, in, in different forms that I've shared. Um, if you know me, ask and I'll show it to you. But I love the those kind of ideas. Would it be great? You know, when I was younger, I was like, oh, yeah, gotta go. Gotta go to WrestleMania one time. That's nah, okay. Sometimes the culture talks you out of those things as time as you know um, life goes on because you know the like the pricing to go to rest yeah you know, and it's just it's not cost prohibitive for from where I am at in my life but it's just foolish it just is like it ain't you know it's not out of my budget so to speak but it's not I can't see the the memories being worth the, you know what I mean? So, 
it's just difficult. Um, I just, I don't look at life quite the same way as I used to. There's certain bands, certain people I'd love to see. I'd love to go absolutely see Dave Chappelle speak, perform, wherever he might be, for whatever reason. My mother wants to see Niagara Falls. I don't think she listens to these shows. So, you know, I'll tell you right now, that's on my list of things to do in the next two years. If it doesn't happen this year. I'm single. I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm, there's a good chance I will talk her into going up to New York. We'll see Niagara Falls. Maybe we'll try to knock off a couple of things on that list and see a Rangers game while we're up there. I um, thought that I was not going to accomplish a couple of other things, but I, I've really enjoyed the comedy of George Carlin. I saw him in Newport News, Virginia, out towards Naval Base. I don't remember the name of the Naval Base. But we, we saw him. We went to Williamsburg, to historical Williamsburg, Bush Gardens, and then we drove out to the, um, I guess it's almost on the Atlantic coast, saw George Carlin and came back home. And I paid, you know, Top dollar to go see um, Jordan Peterson when he spoke in the Owens Ovens. I think it's called the Ovens Auditorium. I keep wanting to call it Owens because that's a more common last name. Probably because Jordan Peterson hates liars like Kevin Owens from Monday Night Long. That's what it is. <laughs> no, I I really have have gotten the chance to knock several of the things that I admire and so forth off of my list and I think anything I would put on the list would be extremely realistic anyway I wouldn't put on there that I want to cry I'm sorry crime I want to do some crime I want to um get to the top of Kilimanjaro or Mount Everest or something like that. I'm just not interested in that kind of stuff. Um, it just, like, it just doesn't interest me. I'm not a, like, let's put on an oxygen tank and go hike up in the Himalayas for six weeks. It just, you know, it doesn't lend itself to me. Um, but if you have those on your list, I mean, then go for it. I just think that, you know, some folks, they look at the opportunity to put together this, you know, mystery kind of, I, I, I don't know that it's out of their reach, but there's a lot of folks who are like, you know, I really want to go see Australia. And I say, all right, well, have you thought about pricing it and seeing what it costs and what would it take to be able to get there? Well, no, I hadn't, I would because that's how I work. When I start looking at that stuff, I just put it down. I look at the, I guess if, if you had a concierge, they would give you the, you know, the itinerary or they would give you your list of these are the places you can go and eat and this and that and the other. Well, along those lines, if I was going to go to New York, then I would look at it and I would pull up flights. Most people start there. 
but then you need to know what you're going to do for getting around your uh, place you're going to sleep and certainly you would need to be able to, to look at whatever it costs for the you know the main attraction the, the tickets to the garden etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, so I'm, I'm you know I, I've, I've looked into some of that stuff in the past it would not be super expensive to be able to either drive up and go see a Rangers game and drive back home or otherwise it's very realistic you know um, I think that when you look around and you say hey I really want to do this wildly um, out of my routine thing and some of that is that people would like to go see the seven wonders of the world they want to see a desert they want to travel to a different state they want to be able to pack everything up and you jump in one of these, I guess you'd say sprinter vans is what my stepfather had, um, and just travel to, you know, want to save some money and go do this for a month. I don't see anything that's not modest necessarily about that. You know, that that is the sort of journey that we learn about in history class. And... I think to myself that, you know, that's that's like your piece of Americana to be able to go on that sort of rite of passage or in, in the Aborigines call it the walkabout, right? It's in Crocodile Dundee movies when they talk about him, you know, sort of going off and becoming a man, like in the Jungle Book. But there's a different kind of world now. And it's much harder to do that. Nothing's undiscovered or anything. So you essentially would be, you know, perhaps even traveling a prearranged route to to be uh, a tourist. And then you are. You're a tourist. You're not, you know, you know, on an expedition. You're not finding something new. You know, you might think, well, I'm going to go deep into the the national parks because some people want to do that. But it's already been, you know seen by however many other folks. It's not like you're out there, you know, just breaking new ground, discovering that kind of thing. Um, it's just, you know, I think it's one of those things where you have to genuinely enjoy, like, who you are and just to get the sense of being out of your elements to be the the central focus of your uh, journey that you want to go on. It's it's not uh, the kind of mental thing. Like when I go on the when I do these podcasts, it's a different kind of mental journey. When I'm writing something, I really enjoy that. It's something that's not been written before, and I'm writing it, and uh, I get to map out this adventure for myself, discover it. For myself and other people have told me, you know, they man, you know, you got to kind of follow this and you got to kind of be smart to figure this out. And I've told them I write that stuff so that when I read it again, it's interesting to me. It's not for anybody else. For the most part, the Father's Day letters that I wrote were obviously full of the catchphrases and cliches and things that we use in our workplace. And I used them to harmonize the letter and wrote them rhythmically so that it not only told a story, but it hit the highlights of kind of making you laugh. And, you know, now you have this allegory kind of thing going on. 
But if you're going out and traveling and you want it for your uh, journey through the desert and the national parks, you want to go out and go to Burning Man or whatever, right? And these are the kind of things that people think, well, you know, this is what other people have done. And they went on, you know, maybe like a spiritual kind of, uh, went through a spiritual kind of change because they did this, they proved it to themselves that it could be done, et cetera, et cetera. And that's, that's different. That's not discovering something geographically. You're not going somewhere and mapping out a new thing and claiming it. And You know, you may have a telescope and find a star and name it after somebody yourself, whatever. That, that's a real thing that could happen. Uh, it's unlikely, but it could happen. This whole thing where like you're going to go out and like rediscover America is is for you as an individual to become more familiar with America, but it's all registered somewhere. Somebody already owns all this stuff, and there might be a scrap of dirt somewhere that nobody's ever stepped on. You understand, though, that we've already been there. And so whatever you're doing, it's kind of like when you graduate from college, it's a rite of passage. It's you proving that you can go through a process, and now you have achieved that. Not only are things like that public, right, because that's on your resume and you just hang the diploma on the wall, but when you do these physical journey journeys, these spiritual things for yourself, that's where you can look at yourself as a different level of character. And you've taken what you thought you could do and actualized it. Now I saw potential, I used my potential, and I feel the, it is, it's a reward from that effort. And you feel very complete about those kinds of things. I just... I don't have those kinds of things in my head. I don't have the wildly kind of I don't know. It, it I the kinds of things that I'm looking forward to to sort of prove to myself that certain things are possible and this and that and the other would be that um I guess, so when I have spoken to, to folks, when I have had new employees, when I have had um, these experiences where I would say to myself that it's unlikely something would happen. That is always refreshing to me. I was in a very, very ugly uh, relationship in retrospect. It's not like, you know, anybody was chained to a wall and beaten or hung upside down, crucified. Nobody lost a finger, you know. But from... When you're a man who's mechanically driven, things need to be engineered to make sense and so forth from the perspective of time and finance... And the, the way that I look at it, like resource-wise, I just feel like, you know, so many things, God just burned. So much scorched earth happened in that process where, and if you're not familiar, scorched earth is, 
in the, in the history books and the way I learned about it was in World War II, the Germans were invading Russia. And in order for the Russians to defend themselves, uh, any ground that they lost as they're retreating and going backwards, they would burn the city, the, the village, whatever it was, because they wanted the Germans to be able to come in and refuel off of all that stuff and keep fighting them. They wanted to make it harder and their supply lines longer. So it's they're much they're that much farther from Germany, from Berlin, from otherwise. And the scorched earth means, you know, I'm retreating, but I'm throwing everything I can in the way. I'm I'm putting fire in front of you. And so now you have to basically, you know, thin yourself out. You have to work twice as hard to come and get me. And it, it really felt that way um, from the relationship. It was it was fucking awful. I mean, in a way, because um, um, I guess you would say that she I don't know. I, I'm I'm trying to. I don't want to articulate something to be just vicious or whatever else, you know. So, I just, I think that if you, um, I think if you bring yourself into a situation, I have younger folks who have worked for me, and they are not equipped for the kind of decision-making that other folks are. I'll give you an example. So, or I'll give you an experience I had. Customers, and you watch this on YouTube, right? You see it in, in all forms. Customers attack workers. Verbally, sometimes physically, you know, whatever. And, <clears throat> I'm sorry, folks are not tempered for that when they're younger. They just not. They, they don't have the tolerance for it. They don't have the, 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 there's not what I would consider a real boot camp for that kind of thing. You can see it, you know, but until you're in that area and you develop like that thicker skin, like your immune system building up, etc., and it's very difficult to find a balance with regard to how to um, keep your composure. It just is. It's very hard. A lot of people lose their jobs in those situations. You see it. And a lot of folks who see that happen, they see the person kind of stand up for themselves. They cheer on that person. They still lost their job, but it's like, no, no, you should be able to. And I, I completely agree. I think companies should stand behind people. It should be uh, more objective-minded and not, you know, that people are perfect and they have to do this. Uh, you ever seen the videos of the, the guy who guards the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier? Or in Britain, they have the Bobbies. They have, or the, I'm sorry, Bobbies of the police. They have the royal... Um, guards or whatever that stand outside the palace, the, the big red jackets, the big furry hat, and people yell at them and everything else, and they have to stand straight, still, take all the yelling and the punishment and whatever, and they have to maintain, 
you know, complete discipline. It's ridiculous in some ways for companies to hire folks who are inexperienced and then expect them to have this complete discipline. We don't have extensive training for it. We don't send them away to boot camps. We don't role play and yell and get in their face and sling drinks at them. It just doesn't happen. And so I'm not sure where they're supposed to get that discipline from. You know what I mean? And I guess what it is for me is that people... They're human beings more than anything. And it's not what I would consider courteous to treat people like that. It's out of the norm to even be that aggressive. I think it's out of the norm. From where I am sitting in the community that I'm in, in the culture of accountability that I have built around here, that others paved that way and I am continuing that tradition, that is not normal. That is quite aggressive. That volume is much higher than anything that we are used to. We never treat anybody like that. You open the door for somebody, you acknowledge them, you treat them as an, a person. I don't know that you're, that equal is the wrong word to end that sentence with. You treat them as an equal. doesn't matter if they're in a wheelchair or they, whatever it might be. You just do it. And handicap doesn't mean that you come down to, you know, be more of a compassionate person. They could be wearing all the gold in the world and have a an entourage and you open the door for all of them. I don't think that's right. You know, to put you first, right? Because you're one guy and they're the thing. And, you know, the Star Trek quote, you know, the, the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one. It, it works both ways. But... You know, I've been many times. I'm in the grocery store. I I grab six. I'll grab six Dr. Peppers, push them together, or four to start with. But anyway, I squeeze them. I put them in my left arm, and they sit almost like firewood is stacked with my arm turned 45 degrees. And so you have Dr. Pepper here, 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 and they're stacked up in almost like a pyramid. And I'm holding them from my shoulder down to the tips of my fingers. And there's six up in my arm like this. And I'm carrying them around. Like when you stack wine bottles into a uh, baseball diamond-shaped uh, holder. And so I will be standing in line behind somebody who has like a gigantic cart of stuff. And they look at me like, hey, man, that's a lot of stuff. And it never occurs to them maybe to say, hey, you should go first. They don't need to. I can hold this stuff. I'm six foot two thirty, baby. I got it. I carry stuff all over with my regular job. Heavy stuff. All kinds of places. My arms aren't marked all the fuck up because I don't engage with heavy, with dangerous, with rough-edged materials. But from a courtesy standpoint, we always got the door for the guy who's walking a little slower, who... If it was easier for us to get the door than for them to get the door, we got it for them. <coughs> and I just don't see that level of, that kind of 
vision out of people anymore, that peripheral vision. And that is where I just, I grew up in, my family just lived out everything that I'm saying. And we didn't have to have <laughs> some long talk about it. If you didn't get the door for somebody, they might say, hey, get the door for him. You don't know any better, get the door for him. Go ahead and do it. See how it feels. That's how it's supposed to be. All right. Go on. Tell the truth. Don't be lying to people. Look, I... I people have believed whatever I say for a very long time because I create plausible scenarios. But it's one of those things where... I'm not trying to be ugly to anybody. Or necessarily hurt anybody. I mean, I was in, you know, I've been in relationships where things happened and not everybody knew what was going on, and I never threw it in somebody's face to try to hurt them. You know, when you're young, you do all kinds of things to see if you can, you know, you play baseball. You step off at first, you a couple of steps off first, see if you can steal second. And stealing is kind of like cheating ahead, and, you know, relationships sometimes involve cheating and this, that, and the other. Doesn't mean people never change. It doesn't. And I don't try to, I could try to explain to you what the, the choices that are in front of me on a daily basis. You know, here's this person who's, who's saying this, and this person's flattering me this way, and this person would like to, you know, offer. They want to meet halfway, they want to date, they want a serious relationship, they want to. And I, I, love, I love the conversation that people have, you know, and having an open dialogue. But the reality of it is that, for the most part, people don't have that X factor that I'm trying to establish. That they know when to shut the hell up. They know when to take control of a situation. They have the the. Mick Foley cut an interview years ago. He's mankind, you know, and he did the mandible claw, and he was messing people up, and this and that and the other. And um, he, I'm trying to think of the exact wording. He said, he said it's, the mandible claw was from Dr. Sam Smith in wrestling's history. Basically, you take two fingers, stick them in somebody's mouth over their bottom teeth and then press below their tongue. And that's supposed to be a real thing that it, it kind of, um, it's a pressure point. And he said that it's power tempered with mercy. Anyway, like, what? Because it renders you like, you know, unconscious or something but then the guys he would stick their fingers in their mouth and they'd be coughing stuff up and everything else and you're like he's lying he's destroying those people that's not mercy them guys are getting messed up well i the the truth and the ability for people to to trust you is often like that 
and I've said some very flattering things. And I do. I see great things sometimes out of a, a series of photos that I see about somebody, this and that and the other, where they they do. They just come across as, as very happy or strong. Their, their promise seems like it could still all be there. However, as I said to somebody the other day, Oh, well, I, I haven't dated anybody in a very long time and this and that and the other. And I said, okay, well, I just, I, I want to give you an, an objective way of looking at this. If your dating history was a resume, how would you explain this gap in your employment, in your, you know, in your, in your, you know, love life? How would you explain the gap? That just that's the question I would ask. So if you're talking to someone seriously, you want to be with someone, might be a question to ask. You phrase it how you need to and say, hey, how long have you been single? All right, well, why have you been single that long? And if they're damaged goods or this or that or the other then you know you need to to understand whether they've done a lot of work to uh, you know like they they stepped out of the game and took a class and went to therapy and they did this and this and this because those possibilities those ways of being able to work on themselves are oh man those are just like the most crucial things you you tried and then you experienced the, the what not to do and you have the and then you talk to someone about that and maybe you continue those lessons or continue reading books or whatever resources you use to be able to get you to the next phase of where you want to be right because you you don't want to be if, if that's okay so if your goal is that you don't want to be alone and you want to be in this kind of a situation ask the questions that are involved in that situation I'd love to have a home with somebody and this and that. Then ask them. What's your budget like? You don't have to do it dollar-wise, but do they have a job uh, that, you know, is taking care of things? Do they have a gigantic car payment because there's some silly person driving some 2029 Camaro or something? You know. But you should you should realize that, that, that they put these temporary things they you know escaping vanity being the name of it that you decide you're gonna just go to town on your I, it, people call that your midlife crisis but the guy who drives the, the expensive car because whatever why really why it don't make no sense to me it could make sense to you, but you're going to have a hard time selling that to me because I'm going to tell you my, if I haven't, and I'm sure I've been over this car, the mathematical equation of my car on this podcast several times. I bought my Honda with maybe 170,000 miles, paid $5,500 for it, something of that nature. I think that car will last another 200-something thousand miles. I think that's a very good, right? So, I might 
I'm, it's got a six CD player in it. I'd love to have something that's got Bluetooth or it plays MP3 CDs so that I could put more music onto a thing. But you know, it will get by the time I'm done with it. Um, I fully and pre- uh, what I think is a, a very heavy possibility, predictably, think that it, I will end up getting about forty miles out of every dollar I put into that car. Retail dollar, right? So I paid $5,500. I should reasonably get about 20, carry the zeros, so 220,000 miles out of the car. I think that's very realistic. Now, you paid $40,000 for your car. So I'm I'm curious to hear about this journey you're going to go on over the next however many years. To get 1.6 million miles out of that car and get the same $40. I'm sorry, 40 miles to every dollar. Just like the, what I said earlier about the miles to personality ratio. It's it's extremely important to me to, to see. And, it, and I'm not being a stickler. I've got a sunroof and leather seats and power everything and whatever. I don't know what else I would need. I genuinely don't. So, I consider anything else to be um, a qualification of, of it's, it's almost like surrendering to vanity. Now, there's people who want more modern things. They want to be able to Bluetooth this and that and the other, but in a way, that's just fucking ridiculous. Because you can buy an older car and then you can just put, or, or buy a, a reliable car that doesn't have all these modern reasons to get jacked up and and basically lose your money in any kind of automotive incident and you can buy a stereo that has bluetooth and (laughs) then it'll do everything anyway and you'd save a tremendous amount of money that way something to think about it's it's one of those things where um it's it's my way of looking at it but you know when people are buying houses they they absolutely seem to go for this, where they buy a house that they can then customize and fix up and do what they want with it. They don't do that with cars. For the most part, my experience in the world has been that that works in conflict with one another. The one, it, you absolutely buy things with the intent of making it your own. And that's not true with automobiles. It's still only true with the home. We'll hit a break and we'll be right back. The mouth-watering Big Mac with a savory filio fish and a tasty McChicken. My goodness, that looks good. Oh, oh, you're making a McDonald's menu hat. Yes, a land, air, and sea. Oh, it's gonna tip over. No, it's good, it's good, very stable. Order the land, air, and sea by name, build it by hand, and hack the McDonald's menu. I'm surprised at how attracted I am to it. Back from the break, and two last things to cover on the podcast. Maybe the most two important, right? It's in the eye of the beholder. This term that I was... Looking at going down the road, I'd written it to myself in an email. I said it's the location of the conversation. Of course, there's a lot of 
variations to what that could mean geographically, if it's where you're at in the progress of a conversation. It's uh, very, very metaphorical in terms of the degree to which your your dialogue has reached. And, and I look at it in, in a very um, interesting sense. Um, I've met some people who are very special to me, especially over the last year, the, the folks that I work with. Um, and in, in the course of recording the earlier part of this podcast and then where I'm doing these couple finishing segments, a lot has changed professionally because this was recorded over a series of uh, five days. And then a lot has changed personally. And I just I look at it that the conversation of my life, and some of it being the, the location of the conversation, like what episode are you on if you're listening to this podcast, has so much to do with the maturity of the world. It's It's got a lot to do with being able to give and, and take. You know, there are folks who... They really have embraced, you know, who they are. They wear their scars proudly. That's their battle map that they use, their, their war map that they're going to win and emerge victorious. They're not looking to erase the past, to refight those battles or otherwise. Something a lot of people may appreciate. I like to look at people with a clean slate, but you also have to realize whether someone has been through uh, relationship troubles, they've lost a, a loved one uh, close, you know, my uncle, maybe you've lost a parent otherwise, and it's it's just very, it's very difficult to look at everybody with this clean slate and say, wow, this is, you know, this um, untapped, or an it's this pure, raw, phenomenal energy that uh, we can just almost naively, mysteriously kind of go with. Hey, I'm feeling like, man, I feel like I just love this song, this person, this job right away. And you're going to find things you don't like down the line. It, it's really... There's two different schools of thought, and, and that's where the location of the conversation term came from. It's Here is a, a person, I may look at it and say, you know what, full throttle. And when, we're under, when we get it to something we need to slow down for to, to address, then we'll do that. But why in the world would you just go at the uh, slow pace, the snail's pace, the turtle pace, and go, oh, we're going to be very cautious and very cautious and... I understand part of why you would do that, for the, and the argument being longevity. But there are folks who are, you know, they're skilled in the art of evasive driving. They can drive 100 miles, 200 miles an hour, and they can fly planes much faster than that, and are able to see and avoid obstacles. It's a different level of your ability to maneuver. And also your ability to, to be familiar with your surroundings and negotiate the landscape and survive, even thrive. 
And there's a lot of folks who are going to tell you, hey, hey, you got to pump the brakes. You got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. Well, do you want to be an entry-level person forever? Or if there's something comes up, are you going to say, hey, pick me. I'll be your guinea pig. Or what is the, the term from the Tombstone movie? I'll be your huckleberry. You know, whatever. Different folks have that estrogen or testosterone, whatever your motivating factor might be. But at the end of the day, you have to do some convincing one way or the other. I don't know why that's even um, up in the air. It's going to have to happen. And um, I just don't... I don't see where this idea that you're going to run across somebody who doesn't annoy you and drive you crazy is a recipe for success. Many of the couples that you know, right, your aunts, uncles, grandparents, grandparents, you could look at that and say, well, they've been annoyed their their whole life. They put up with that because what you see from the outside as being this thing that is driving them crazy, they secretly love. They do. It's what makes the other person their partner. It's what gives them a unique flavor. Because now you're you're in this situation where you have someone who is in front of you, and they just. openly and unapologetically embrace and go about the world as who they see themselves being. They don't look at you and say, oh, what do you what do you what is it you need? Okay, well I'm going to tweak whatever is going on in my life to give you exactly what you need. Now, a selfless quality can exist in that to be able to be a supportive and reliable partner. I think that it's the degree to which you're looking at, right? So am I am I changing my complete direction? Am I changing my lifelong goals, the things that are the defining characteristics of who I am? Am I giving up my, my dreams? Or are these simple creature comforts that you want to be able to say, hey, I was going to watch the game, but I'm going to do this. Oh! Yeah, it's, it's no different than that. We're not saying you had plans to you know, move to Alaska and rally the troops and make it the succession from the United States. We were going to make Alaska its own country, have an army, raise a family. We'll live in this, you know, new, what is it they call them? I don't know. They're not called freedom zones. Um, but Portland has them where they, you know, these 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 zones that they developed, right? They're free of uh, government control or, or autonomous zones. Is that what it's called? <laughs> it's the dumbest thing ever. So, you know, it's a... It's an occupation is what it is. It's no different than the people who tried to do the Occupy Wall Street or chain themselves around the statue at the museum or whatever else. We're going to claim this land. 
that we already built and put down the pavement and the buildings were already there and so forth. Yeah, you're, it's a siege. We know what you're doing. You know, but I don't think that that's what's happening in these situations, these relationships. I don't think that someone's taking away your freedoms. You choose to do things for one another. And in a way, you're very rewarded from your choice. I'm going to give up my day to take my children somewhere. <gasps> so why can't you give up your day to take, do, do something with your partner? Hey, I gave up this, and it's for family. And it, Right. Because that person, the goal is to, to have them in your family, to have them be your spouse, partner, lover, whatever. And so there's no difference than you saying, I need to adjust my schedule to take care of a, a loved one, somebody you love. Simple as that. They don't have to be originally for your family tree or meet some other kind of wildly specific criteria from, I don't know, Homeland Security or something. It, it's, it, you know, I'm, I'm trying to describe this in a way that creates almost like a metaphor or a comparison. But the, the reality of it is you, you do things for other people all the time. If you could pick your work schedule, it would be. Well, it's not, so are you compromising to go to work? Of course you are. Well, you know, I, right. Because why? It's something that you feel you want and need to do. It's the same thing if you're going to be in a relationship. It's the place you want and need to live that headspace, that security, all of it. And so it's very, very unfair for anybody to sit back and say, well, I'm looking for the flaws. And the no, you may be looking at opportunities to grow, but why would you look at things to then drive a wedge and separate and call it a day? It just doesn't make any sense to me. Are there people who are incompatible? There's a lot of them. They speak, as I made the statement in the last podcast, you're, you're this far up to the top of the mountain, you're this far from the, the top. And you only got so many days to live. So many days to get wherever you're trying to go. So how far back down the mountain can you go to then either go in a different direction or still try to achieve your dreams, your, uh, dreams with someone? Because... That is where it, it, it truly separates your ability to compromise. You're compromising that end game, the, the dreams, your character traits, who you are to give away uh, and re-plot. Is that, is that the way you would say that? Uh, it's a way for you to change the ending. You may still aspire to get back where you thought you were going to be, but how far back can you go, and how far can you backtrack to the house once you've left? You're on a trip. You want. To, you need to be there in a certain amount of time. You're running on time. You got to go back to the house. Okay. How in the world are you ever going to make it on time again? Well, will I take shortcuts and go faster? And why weren't you doing that to begin with? Right. Anything you could do to have gotten there faster. Why weren't you already doing that? Just an interesting point. If you care about this other situation, person, love, you know, 
just potential family that you could have so much. There should be a tremendous amount of... And I say the word flexibility. I'm not looking at it like a hostage negotiation. I'm not saying you love this. Or they they got to give up that. I'm gluten-free, so guess what our refrigerator's going to look like? Um, it's not like that. I've never thought of it like that. And I'm not encouraging anybody else to be in anything that's an uncomfortable level. Now, you may try that, right? I, I, you know what? I've been trying to lose weight all. I think I'm going to try to go gluten-free. It's an interesting idea, but you're choosing that. And I think that's something that people sort of have lost the... sense of community that goes along with we're going to go along to get along and so this newer area of everybody's got to be an individual and they can't change from who they are and no matter how good or bad or silly their ideas might be they're valid and my ideas will work with somebody's ideas I shouldn't have to what evolve just because you are a big fan of music that is very angry and it uses loud language and it uses does not mean that it's more powerful or it's that much different than, than where I'm at. Listening to Passenger and Manchester Orchestra and Noel Gallagher and Oasis. And whatever. I had a lot of moments in my youth where it was big time, like Metallica and all these Rage Against the Machine and Public Enemy and you know Tom Morello split off did some other things. You got all these people from NWA and everybody's lighting up MTV back in the day. Beavis and Butthead were anti-authority. Stone Cold Steve Austin. Degeneration X. All these things. Yes. But then, you know, the people, they, they do. They, they reach a different level in life where they're like, you know what? I fought hard to get here. I'm not still angry. Why would I be angry my whole life? My blood pressure is going to be like this. My life span's going to go you know. And you, you don't gain anything from just staying mad all the time. I think when you're going through the process of, of really rediscovering who you are and you're getting back up on your feet or maybe you've done the work alone. You've you've had a very hard journey. You've you lost people along the way. You've maybe never had uh, a reputation or you've now you've got a completely rebuild whatever the wrong reputation people have of you now is. But you have to prove that to them. And and as as someone I care a lot about said to me, you know, you, those actions are what are very important. I'm a big fan of announcing uh, and then following through with things. I think that's why you have meetings, you announce plans, this and this and this. And, and then I understood as was shared with me, hey, when it comes to the, you know, matters of the heart and romance and this and this and this, maybe you should hold back a little bit because those are better, those are better when they're spontaneous. And I thought, yes, I don't like my movies to be spoiled. I don't like my wrestling to have the results just laid out in front of me. You're absolutely right. Separate that personal and business you know, it's Michael, you you you're on the right track. 
if you're in the right arena. <laughs> if you're on the right train. On this, in this instance, you're on the wrong train, you're on, you're on the wrong tracks. Okay. I don't mind being wrong like that. You know, I think people change. But I, uh, you know, sometimes feel like my father said to me, uh, it's, it's been 20, is it 24 years? Anyway, he, I'll never forget, we, we had walked back to the car we were getting in the truck from the food lion and he was determined he was going to make some moves with my stepmother he said he was tired of driving to the city she lived in <laughs> which was not that far away but it was his way of saying his time I've never forgotten that There's a lot of things I, I, I that are just locked into my memory that are these little and that's, you know, where I was going to take the podcast is, is for Father's Day and, and say all oh, these wonderful. Look, I grew up and I could sit here and I could go for hours talking about simple things. But if I gave you the highlights, you know, it's my father worked. He worked for a living. You know, he, he has an organic chemistry degree where he, he taught school some and got into the family business of building houses. I had very, very fortunate, like, downtime, not school, sometimes very hard-working activities where we, you know, we rode on the back of the the trailer. We didn't get to ride with the baler, and we baled hay, and we carried it to the top of the barn. And, you know, my father's day, my grandfather goes right into that mix. You know, I remember being over there, and it's whatever time in the morning. Who's going to be the one to go out to the barn and take the pitchfork and throw some hay down to the cows? We're going to get up, we're going to go over, we're going to turn over some ugliness in the cow pasture and see if we can't get some worms to go fishing. And my grandfather had these. <laughs> it was economical. They had some land, but nobody had some crazy high-paying job, giant bank accounts, none of that stuff. They had to cultivate the land. And for fishing poles, we didn't, there wasn't no dick sporting goods or going down in Cabela's. We cut down 8, 10, 12-foot pieces of bamboo and ran some fishing line through them. Put a cork on the end. Maybe a fishing weight that we had melted some other kind of metal down and put it on there. And then, you know, you don't have a reel, you just sling it out into the pond and then you you know it's like a crane you, you lower it and it goes into the water and then you raise it back up and it comes out of the water and that was the sophisticated fishing that we did around the pond when we got older i had a fishing rod my father did some wild wild work to make some special things happen you know he poured concrete and put I guess just four or six. He poured concrete and, and put four by fours in the ground and built a... It's not in a tree, but he built a, a tree house. Like, it's sitting six or seven feet off the ground uh, where he built, much like when you go to a beach house that's on stilts, he put four by fours in the ground and then he built a floor level so there was a small porch around the tree house. And I remember there being... 
a ladder that went up, and you could, and because there was a rail around the top, uh, except for where you went up the ladder, you could open the rail. It was a door, and it had a ramp that came down and down. It was like three and a half or four feet wide, and I guess he left that so we could ride our big wheels or maybe handicap. I don't whatever reason. I never asked him about the blueprints or the thing, but um, it had a couple of windows on it. And when I say windows, he cut a hole in the T11, T111. It's the barn siding is what it was. And he's just very raw. It wasn't insulated. It wouldn't have electricity, you know, craziness. But he cut two pieces of plywood. He cut two holes out of it, put hinges, and put a little catch on it so that you could open the windows up. You could look out in the woods and you could play, you know, um... I guess army or if we were up there and we were playing hide and seek, we had, you know, nerf guns and things like that later on. And I just, I'm very fortunate, you know, about the tree house. When I was 14, I made a big deal about needing to have a trampoline. Cause I had super, super fell in love with wrestling. And you know, the things that I had around my house uh, and a lot of it was independence was, you know, I had a cheap Nerf football, and I would throw it up on the roof, and it would, you'd throw it like where the garage comes in and then meets the house, so there's a 90-degree turn. So when you throw it up here, it would hit the valley of the roof and then bounce all the way back down, and you'd wait on it like you're waiting on a kickoff, and I'd grab it, and I'd run. Ain't nobody else playing with me. It's just me. You know, the, the, the way the house was built, it was dug into the ground on three sides, so you had a basement underground except for one side that was exposed where there was a place to drive in the lawnmower and um, his work you know bench his workshop was down there and because that part of the house was exposed and the other three sides being in the ground and that side was exposed you had two stories of brick so I would throw a tennis ball off that brick and that was my sort of throwing net was to throw the tennis ball off the house and back to myself you know that was my downtime but dad coached my baseball team he coached my brother's soccer teams. He was there, as far as I know, he was there every game. And I played soccer in the fall, basketball in the winter, soccer in the spring, and baseball in the summer. He was there. And we were there for his games, too. As we were smaller, my dad played traveling. Uh, it's U-Triple-S-B. It's the United States softball something, Class B, uh, that they had. They won the world tournament in 1986, Bex Masonry. But, you know, they, the moms piled all of us up and, and took us with the guys. And it was people from this community here, you know, within 15, 20 minutes. Um, some of them ended up moving away, but a lot of those guys had very wonderful personalities, good jobs. They worked for the power company and, and like I said, masonry and, and some in construction and Either softball playing like they had played in school, and this was their outlet as men. And some of them—that's right. Some of them taught school, and um, I believe my father. I don't want to be. <laughs> we're trying to avoid any crying on this podcast, but I believe one of my father's best friends. Uh, I'd have to look it up, but I'm very sure he's like the winningest softball coach in the state of North Carolina. I believe he was not far from being the most victorious coach in the in United States died of, of, of cancer at 67 or something. I mean, he would have smashed whatever records 
Um, great guy. A lot of great guys. Um, all of them, you know, when you see them, they, they shake hands and stuff. I think I've told this story on this podcast, but I was working for a steakhouse, and I knew these two guys played softball. I thought for, and I, I was right about this, I, I knew which church they played for because we played in the church league. I had forgotten that they played pro softball with my dad. And so I I walked over to the table toward the end of it, and this was during COVID where I was there with a mask, and I said something. I said, yeah, you guys, you know, you're, you're here da, 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 celebrating. I said, it's good to see people uh, from around. I said, uh, and I knew one of the guys' names, and I knew which church they played softball for, but I could not remember the other guy's name. Well, the only thing that made sense later was they were brothers, and there wasn't no negotiating, but I thought it was a different guy off the team. Lo and behold, I say, hey, you know, it's a good, a good place to be if you, if you don't got to be here. Maybe if you ain't playing softball for, for you know, the church me and my dad go to. They said, oh, Yeah. <laughs> They said, what do you know about some softball? I said, oh. I said, I think I've seen you guys hit a lot of big-time home runs off my dad when he was pitching. They looked at me like, oh, we know who this is. This has got to be his his kid. So they said, are you? I took my mask off, and they, they said, that's his kid. That is, that is the man. That is Dan's kid right there. <laughs> it's Dan's son, if I ever saw one. They said, Dan. He's the Ric Flair of softball. <laughs> I said, what? I had never heard this. You know, my dad has these nicknames. They call him DC for his initials. They call him 19. He always wore 19. And, uh, you know, the Ric Flair. Is a Ric Flair of softball. So I put that in my phone later. I had him in there as Nature Boy or something. I told him, I said, I got that gold hair. And he's... And dad, he's, you know, I'm very proud of different things I've found out about my father over the course of time. I mean, the man was, I didn't know this. Like, he's never advertised it. It's never come up. Never heard it in the conversation. He was class president. He played it all. The, he was very, very gifted when it came to doing all these piano recitals. He's played a tremendous amount of weddings and things that my mother played, and he sang or vice versa. Uh, my aunt joined in with him. You know, he's built onto or repaired or from the ground up done many many houses in the community like i still i see people that come into where i have a career i know he built their house or he built their parents house when i drive down the road and i go boom and it i don't have to drive down a bunch of different roads like when i'm coming home i see houses that he built that he was part of and you know i I'm I'm extremely thankful of that kind of legacy of work. I know that even now, like he donates, he's he's over last night doing trivia, where you can win some money for trivia. You get your he said if you win money, you get your money back. You can win the entry fee back. Do you know where the entry fee goes? It goes to the United Way. It goes to a great cause. That's one of the reasons he goes. Plus, he enjoys himself. Who's he playing with? He's playing a co- with a couple of other people from the family who are in some very interesting positions with charitable organizations or private organizations. And some of them are, you know, they're just for profit, whatever. But I have many people in the family who volunteer either time or head up uh, advocacy or nonprofit. Kind of thing. And, I, and I think that's a wonderful way 
to keep a balance in the community. It's, it doesn't lead to this kind of like crazy, you know, oh, you're liberals. And I'm like, that don't make any sense. If you're going to argue that kind of stuff, then you're going to have to then dissipate and, and disregard anything that would be uh, a, a nonprofit organization that has an agenda on the other side of the aisle. One doesn't necessarily mean the other. There's all kinds of places that advocate for all kinds of different things. But when you're just helping out, like, you know, kids or housing or, you know, trying to make sure, you know, give a kid a coat. He's always gave coats. He's helping with Operation Santa Claus. He's picking up food for the food bank on Tuesday afternoons. You know, I, I love that my dad does those things. I volunteer time. And I've been in some very interesting situations in the last several years that I've had kind of a discussion. I'm with a loved one, someone I think I could spend my life with. We're going to buy a house, whatever. And then the, you know, I run it by people that I trust, like a man who's inspected a very quickly growing, highly regarded city in the state. Hmm. Boy, gee, he knows a lot about infrastructure and he's built a lot of houses. Wonder if I should get his opinion, have him come over and go over the homeowner's inspection. Hmm, probably a pretty good idea. You know, I did. my brother came too. He's a, an engineer, right? And they've done a lot of things in a lot of other houses, even to today. They're, they're not out of the game. And so, you know, for a lot of reasons, I'm just extremely thankful for the way that my father kind of, he's got a, <laughs> he, he might have had a terrible sense of humor when I was younger. I don't know. He, I only ever got into some kind of altercation with him. Uh, I don't remember what it was. It was once. He was wound up about something. I don't think he was remarried at the time. And, you know, he had whatever he had to say, and I had whatever I had to say. We weren't going to hit each other. So it was one of those, like, mm, I'm, I'm a teenager. And he's like, mm, I'm a divorced dad. And that was the end of that. Um, but I love going over to the shop and just hearing him talk. And we go through some, you know, There's he's always got something he's doing. Currently, he has like nine buckets of golf balls that he had, you know, stacked up in his tower. He said there's 250 in a bucket, and he's got them classified by like the name brand of the golf ball that's in there. He's still got a lot more in other places because he collects golf balls. And he's not, he does it because he's like, nobody else is going to grab them. And then he'll give them to some of these places where you can play, uh, if you don't have as much money, it's a sort of a pay what you can kind of restaurant. This is a, a underprivileged themed golf facility. Uh, he's giving a lot of balls to just people. Hey, you need some? Take some. Take some. He's always doing that with his garden. He grows too many tomatoes. He puts them on the rack. Tells whoever to come and get them. He'll carry some around in a bucket, a box, a bag. Give them to anybody who says they could use them. It's just his nature. Part of why the people who work for me are very thankful that they get to eat uh, my extra saltwater taffy. Because I bought 10 pounds or whatever from Amazon. And I said, you know what? I'm going to put some of these in. And I put them in a candle jar. When I'm done with the candle, bake it in the oven, um, and, wa- and, and then pour it out uh, into the trash. Don't pour, it down, don't pour that wax down your sink. Uh, but you, you bake it and get all that residue that you can out. Then I'd pour some water and some soap in there and, and put it back in the oven just like one more time and wipe it out, wipe it down with a paper towel, and it, it's clean. you got a glass jar, you got a container. It's strong. It's everything. 
I still have the lids. Well, now they're storage containers. So I put saltwater taffy in, and then gave it to the, to the guys at work. You know, I took some extra coats that I had bought when I started the job. I got like three different coats with our logo and different things. And I just put them in this cabinet that I added on to our department. And whoever wants a coat, grab a coat. You need one, put it back if, if you can. But, you know, maybe you need to take it home. Who knows? And these are things that I took away from Dad. You know, he's he's taught me a, a tremendous amount. He is he is good. Like he'll and he'll tell you like he's you know well you know I can write some stuff, but you know you really you know he's very much encouraged me about my writing and, and different things. I didn't know that he had these. I've told that story several times, but I didn't know he had several pieces from my website like hanging in his city office and stuff. He's got our pictures hanging in the shop. I mean. He carries around, you know, all this stuff in his wallet still. You know, he's not completely 2023 where everything's on his phone. And, you know, we, we were at dinner or whatever. I, I can't remember. Probably after the, the funeral a couple weeks ago. And he's sitting next to us and somebody asked him something. And he said, yeah, it's on my phone. He said, but I don't know where that's at. I left it at home somewhere. And he does. He They don't pick it up. If he walks out the door without it, he, then he does. He ain't got to have it. He'll find his way. It's just... <laughs> he's, he's something else. And he's got these mechanisms, right? Because I'll say, you know, it's good to see you. Do you know why I say that? Because every time my dad hears the see you part of it, he says it's good to be seen. And that's his... One of his cliches, anyway. You know, he spoke at the funeral and he gave just these <laughs> very entertaining... That's what he does, though. He loves fun. He loves entertaining stories. He's also like me, and if I'm sitting there trying to tell a story, and then he is too, or he's already told one, or then he will engage a little bit in listening to what I have to say, but he doesn't have that kind of like, hmm, that was a good story, son. It, it just it's not who he is. And there's some things that I say that he'll get a laugh out of, but you gotta like, he's got 68 years on me. You gotta say something that he hadn't, hadn't seen, heard, smelled, whatever. And it's got to, like, be worth the the laugh. He's experienced everything up until that piece of the conversation, right? The location of the conversation. He has experienced everything up to the point that I'm at and beyond. So I'm not saying anything fresh to give him a uh, new life to laughter kind of thing. He's already heard that one. Something like it, you know, needs to be something a little different for him. I can be that way. But I also see him doing that, and I go, oh, I don't want to do that for somebody else. Like, I would at least, you know, open up my mind to something I might have already heard or I wouldn't think was as interesting. But I'm going to have a laugh with them. I'm going to enjoy it with them. They took the time to tell me. It should be funny. Yeah, I'm kind of jaded. That's okay. He... You know, I would I can't imagine he didn't give me plenty of athletic gifts. I mean, the guy's he's a pretty tough guy, and um, you know, I'm six foot and two thirty five, and I've got you know blue eyes, and if I'll stay if I'll go out in the sun like he will, my hair is super blonde and stuff. We 
you know, and, and I look the, the way that I look because of many, so many opportunities that I had with him. And some of it being like very, you know, I don't remember him telling me to like slow down or stop, right? We would be out in the woods and we're gathering either pieces of trees to go back and cut or wood's already been split and we're stacking it on the trailer. Maybe we're going out and we're finding, you know, I remember going out and shooting down mistletoe with him with his twenty two rifle bring back to the house there's a, there's a lot of stuff in there when I got older I'd just go grab the tractor or a truck drive it to where the wood pile was in the woods stack it full bring it to the wood stack myself I didn't nobody supervised and helped me out I said the house was two stories with the basement exposed right he also had solar panels on the roof way back when and the house was uh, heated primarily by a wood stove. He had a stove in the center of the basement that was hooked into the ductwork of the house. So when you burned wood, it heated the house. And it smelled good in the house, at least it did to me. And there were plenty of times where the wood would get low. And so I put on sandals, or maybe not, and went and pushed the wheelbarrow 100 yards, 150 yards to the woodshed. Sometimes you'd rake all the ashes out of the stove and then you would take those and throw them on the ash pile and he kept a can of uh, he didn't do this anymore I say he kept because he does it a different way now uh, now he uses pine cones because he said pine cones just light well but back then he had old corn cobs and he left them in a paint bucket that had some kerosene in it so the corn cobs would soak up the kerosene you wrap those in a newspaper or something you throw them in there and light it and of course, it's going to burn hot enough and long enough to get all the kindling or the, the actual wood uh, burning around it. So that was nice. Um, I find, you know, most of the things that I learned from him to be these very uh, vivid kind of memories. You know, I, I don't remember what I said to her. I probably told her rule number two, didn't I? Anyway, we got home from daycare, and whatever I'd said to this woman, he said, you can't talk to a woman that way, and he took his belt off and hit me with it, and I was like, ow! But, as uh, this handsome guy who kind of looks like me said one time, you can say whatever you want, you just don't know what it'll cost you, you know what I'm saying? So, Yeah. That's what it cost me once upon a time. There's a lot of things I don't know. Like, I don't know if number 19 comes from something specific. I know that he loved uh, Johnny Bench growing up. I know that Roberto Clemente is, is his, you know, his other favorite guy. And he's number 21. I think Bench is number five. So I, I never got to the, the bottom of the, the 19 thing, if it was a random thing and it stuck with him or what. To the best of my knowledge, there's nobody else uh, that has a birthday around 19 or anything else, so I, I've not really asked him. Uh, it's on my list of things that I should just open up and ask him one day. You know, the other thing is he's he's so classy, I guess, about some of the things he does. Like, I know that my father consumes alcohol in some way, shape, or form, but he's never done it in front of me. In his shop, he has... Uh, Melly Yeller, I have Mountain Dew, I have Diet Mountain Dew that he drinks, and to keep Dr. Pepper for me and my brother, sometimes Pepsi. 
There'll always be some Coors Light, Bud Light, Rolling Rock, something in there. Uh, because he also has card games and stuff that happen in the shop. When it gets cold enough, they play Rook and Pinochle and watch the ACC tournament or uh, football, something of that nature. And I've asked him that. I said, you know, you know there's, there's alcohol, there's beer in the fridge. And he's like, yeah, I don't really drink. Da, da, da. And maybe you don't. Now, I hear him talk about when he goes golfing, it's a different story because the guys like to have a, a, a beer and, you know, if you were to, to be low on your beer, they you know they say, oh yeah, you ride in the cart with so and so. You go up and you tee off and you come back to the cart and he's got you a brand new beer sitting there in the cup holder, freshly cracked open, you know. And I'm thinking they must have a good time doing that. So it's it's never been a thing. Never seen the man drink. <laughs> I just haven't. But at the same time, you know, I, that's all I know about it. You know. Never heard of him being, you know, loopy or falling down or anything else either. So, uh, whatever he's doing, it sounds like, you know, me kind of sneaking away and recording however much into a podcast and then coming back to the real world. And, you know, I don't do it to stir up any trouble or anything. It's just kind of a recreational thing for me. I kind of assume, anyway, that drinking is the same um, for him. But, um, you know, I, I really appreciate the different contributions that he's made to my life. The, one of the most um, directional conversations that I've had um, in in the last few years was that I was... Um, in the middle of this same thing I was alluding to earlier, referencing earlier. I was in the middle of where I'd had a home inspection, and I don't remember how much of this story I've told on the podcast, but I was in the middle of this home inspection, and the guy, you know, I was not able to get away from work enough to, like, watch it happen. But I got there for, you know, the last few minutes, and they went through the whole presentation with me. I he sent me a copy, so I sent a copy to my father. He went over some of it, and he wanted to go look at the house. And he goes and looks over the house with me, and then comes back. And you know, he's he doesn't like because I was with a girl at the time, and she was very much in love with this house. And the full story is that it was listed for two eighty. They had it, you know, like marked down to two fifty. I gave them a different offer and put some earnest money down, and now I'm having a home inspection and I'm moving forward. Thirty four hundred square feet potentially, but I think like the the bottom didn't have central heating and air; it had different fireplaces, so like it didn't count. Anyway, those technical aspects aside, it's a big house built nineteen forty something, I believe. And Dad comes over and he's looked at the homeowner's inspection, so he knows where to start looking for these documented problems. And we just go up the ladder and look in the attic. And The way that trusses are built, the way that your roof is held up in 2023, trusses have a, a support directly underneath them. The board is below the board holding it up, as if you're looking at that famous picture or statue of the, the men pushing the flag into the ground. Is like that. They're directly underneath it. But in the old days, trusses were nailed on the side. And they're holding it from the side. 
very different. Different leverage. It doesn't have the same kind of support. It's not as sturdy. These trusses had the old style. There was a lot of electrical stuff in that house that was just amateur hooked up from one place to another. It did not have the ground wire. It was two wires instead of three. It had some plumbing issues. The central heating and air of the unit for the HVAC was 21 years old. You know, there was plenty of things that were just not going to be cheap to fix, and they could not be ignored. And the young lady who was with me was not of any remarkable experience to be able to diagnose or look at the the budgetary solution to these problems. And when I say that, I mean, there's two ways to fix these with your budget. One is to cut your losses and go somewhere else so you're not losing, you know, paying all this service money on top of buying a house. The other budgetary way to do it would be to dig into some, you know, you know have a negotiation, dig into some funds, maybe get them to drop the price of the house so that you could spend that money fixing the house or something. Anyway, um, all she understood was there was enough money from, like, maybe even the down payment or something to, you know, we could pull that out of the down payment and then, and then what, not have a down payment? Like, that's crazy talk. Then you're going to pay crazy interest on the higher amount, and you got to pay out of pocket to fix stuff. You know, wasn't her money, and and I, she didn't really have. From what I experienced, she didn't have enough knowledge to be really uh, intelligently contributing to the conversation. It was a lot of lead with the heart. Here's where we're going. You know, here's where I want to go. Come on, this could happen. At a very, very high cost with a tremendous amount of risk, it could happen. But it was in the middle of also an era where uh, plumbers and everybody else were hard to come by. They were booked way out. They could charge what they want. They mark up materials. You know, it's, 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 that's an unknown as to what it would cost to fix these problems. It's, uh, what we're thinking about is, is all hypothetical. Dad calls me up after this inspection of the house and seeing that it's going to cost probably you know, thirty to sixty thousand dollars to uh, correct these these things that we see. Unavoidable, right? They're gonna have to be addressed sooner than later. He says, "Man, he's and I'm not gonna repeat the, the language he used here, but he don't cuss. Not much, not in front of me. And on the phone, you know, what was coming through was that house is a, you know. And I said, oh." You don't think if I got it at a low enough price, he said, you'll never get it at a low enough price to put all that money into it and get your money back. Now, that, I, I somewhat disagree with that because people paid so much money for other houses. However, based on the last 150 years, he's correct. We're in just different times today, so either one of us, uh, both of us could be correct. Um, depending on the way the market shifted. Well, the market, you know, only got worse, and now interest rates are higher and people are paying more if you were going to resell it. But then I'd have to have somewhere to go and somewhere else to buy, right? So you wouldn't necessarily, like, get your money back. You'd just be pouring that into another more expensive house. And his conversation with me went from, hey, this house is never going to be worth that. It's not worth putting all that 
side money into. And quite frankly, um, you'd be better off if, you know, you were to put a home over here. And, you know, he gave me some options that he had not presented. But he thought so much of trying to get me out of that situation, blinded by, you know, not knowing, could be naivety, by, you know, trying to please someone I was trying to be with. Uh, but he saw, you know, what was potentially going to happen, and he said what he needed to say. And I went back to the the other person in the equation, the young lady. Said, this is the advice that I am being giving. I don't have anything else that uh, I'm even considering. Once that is on the table... Uh, it it it's kind of the the lay of the land. I'm not going to get a more informed opinion or somebody who cares about me or has known me any longer. Uh, I appreciate you know what you want to do. She was like, "Oh, it'll be okay. We don't have to get that house." You know, and that was just this silly talk that she was giving me because she genuinely needed to have that house. Just it, it was like she felt like she was defeated if she didn't end up with it. No matter if she walked away, I don't care what she told you. She was that was a one of those biting, bitter kind of uh, earmarks, or you know, the dog ear page that's folded down in in the book of our relationship. That was that was something she did not ever process and put behind her, put out of her system. And I have valued dad's advice on a great many things we've repaired a lot of different stuff and done some interesting kind of projects in the last several years so i've looked quite forward to doing other things with him i mean he's got this you know big garden we've done some woodworking we've done some projects around my house where we you know as, as i mentioned earlier in the year we built a fire pit ended up with some interesting things in my garden behind my house he helped me lay the artificial turf for the the yard that I have. It's it's his equipment that I borrowed. It's his pressure washer that I used to when I stripped off uh, the deck that was in my backyard, and there was concrete below it. So I had to number one clean off all the treated lumber and dispose of all that stuff. And secondly, we got a pressure washer to clean the concrete up after however many years. You know what I mean? Uh, I just, I've been very blessed that he has said to me many times, Michael, if you need something, come borrow it. This will all be yours when I'm gone anyway. And anytime somebody borrows something from me, my stepdad borrowed a ladder yesterday. I said, you need any tools to go with you? You need anything else? Da, da, da. No, 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 no. Okay. Well, I just, I don't see it any other way like I'm, I'm like that at work I mean you need something ask me I buy two packs of many of the different knives or other things that I use do you, you do you, if you genuinely need one like this other one's just gonna sit here for a long time most likely if somebody else asks for it they're gonna get it first but I can't use two I'm not amb I'm not uh, knife bidextrous or ambidextrous whatever the term would be if you have a special term for being able to be double bladed or, or something I don't know but I, I've taken a lot of that from the mentality of my grandfather passed down to my father, and now I am very much the same way. 
And as I've tried to talk to people that I care about or, or you know, maybe even wanted to pursue something with, and I'd let them know, you know, it's it's real, real hard to for me to look at things and not want to uh, to achieve them and, and then find something further than that, to a way to enhance that, a way to improve that. To add to it um, on a very regular basis. I am not a, you know, if I'm cutting a piece of plywood, maybe slow and steady. But when I am trying to, you know, find the next wrestling belt I'm going to buy, accomplish something at my job, you know, whatever it might be. I'm looking to, to, to knock as much off the list as quickly as possible as I can, and that's why I put it in the order I put it in, so that you can start seeing results, feeling results, so that you know, hey, this was dirty, and now it's clean. This was a priority, and now it's finished. This was a bottleneck, and now it's unjammed. It's not that complicated from where I'm experienced, but... Many people are just not of the same, number one, genetic makeup, and they're not of the same emotional gearbox. They need to be able to process something from before. Loss of some kind, you know, maybe a, trauma, a traumatic or a narcissistic or a really bad breakup of some kind. There's, there's a lot of variations to that. And I, you know, have gone to my father for advice on, on a variety of things. And I've not found him to be ignorant of any of the situations where he just completely is, is out of left field or off base. I do not always follow his directions, but I very, very much value his opinion. And it's something that I hope, you know, others have come to me and you know whether it's a position of professional leadership or friendship or otherwise they've asked me a lot of different things and I take that opportunity very seriously I'd like for people to, to you know to be happy and to be able to be safe and um, part of where I come from and where I'd like for us uh, to all go is, you know, in, described in a tremendous amount of layers in this podcast. It comes from having a community that you're comfortable with, that you're proud of. It starts a lot there, you know, clean up your room kind of thing. Well, okay. Number one, got to have clean dishes to be able to eat, you know, whatever your number one might be. Make sure the dogs are fed, okay. Oh, make sure you get to work on time. You know, maybe these are the things that are just out of the normal for you because not everybody has those priorities strike up and they're like the hot-button topic. For some folks, you know, everything in their professional world runs extremely smooth, but their home life is a wreck. Other people have um, the opposite of that situation going on. 
I have felt extremely blessed in the last few weeks because I've received um, a couple of different things that came my way professionally and personally there's some mm, there's some magic uh, it seems like in the air we'll see but you know, Father's Day was very important to me. And I, at one point, I had all these things written down about my father to say, hey, you know, I remember when he got thrown out of a game. or he, Yeah, that happened a lot of times. He got into it with umpires. Okay. I remember when he took us to Disney World. I do. Absolutely. Took us to a historic Williamsburg Beach. Like I said, many different softball complexes or facilities. Several different ball places where we've been to games for so-and-so last year. You know, he had tickets. He took me to the High Point game. Really nice night to just go see baseball with my father. Was the game very good? Uh, but you get to hang out with Dad. And there's some, soft, there's, um, some I agree to say softball, because the last, the last time I was in a man, minor league baseball stadium was when they were playing a softball tournament in one. Because those guys can hit a ball... Um, Extraordinary lengths. The Rockers game went kind of long, so we bounced out before it was over with. But um, I very much welcomed the opportunity. I think when he got the tickets, all he could think of was taking me. And even recently, you know, the, my father and his brothers get together for breakfast because time is important. And nobody's getting younger. So I show up every Thursday morning to breakfast that they have it. I mean, they have the two, I've been going about a month, two out of three weeks. And sometimes you hear some of the same stories, sometimes new ones. It's good to be in good company. The food's good. It's it's a great way to get out of the house and spend some time with people. Hell, I left the breakfast with them, and as a way of being somewhat thankful, I took the time to um, go over and, and volunteer at the mission. Which meant testing out air mattresses, and I don't know a tremendous amount about fixing bikes. I've ridden many in my life, but it was like, hey, some bikes need fixing and repairing, and so I went over there and helped a guy in the bike shop. And it's not as complicated, I didn't think it would be as complicated, but it's not as complicated as I thought it might get. And, and so we fixed some bikes and chains and pedals and frames, and I was like, wow, you know. I could see doing this on the side or, do, you know, just adding this skill to my toolbox, so to speak. I love those experiences, but I have them because of people like my father. I mean, they come from, you know, where I went to Methodist Men Breakfast with Dad and everybody else. They gave money. They talked about the mission. Now I go there. It's like graduating up to, you know, their maturity, and I appreciate it so much. But it's way past Father's Day, and tomorrow I start a, a completely new position, and, and so I'm going to wrap the podcast up. But as I tell people, I appreciate you listening to me, and I'm keeping my fingers crossed and being on my best behavior for all the forces at work out there, because things are very, very interesting and very good right now. Thank you for listening to another episode of Michael L. Craver Presents and exercising the first step in any process. Feel free to like, 
subscribe, share it with someone. It's on every streaming platform from Stitcher to iTunes, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Amazon Music. Or ask Alexa. Play Michael L. Craver Presents. Enjoy your day.